Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of The Ballot. I'm joined here by Andrew Reynolds. Hello. Now we have to say it's been a while since we were last talking about trade wars, I think it was, but there's been a number of reasons for that. Um, For me it's personally been work commitments, I've not been able to put as much time towards it, but also Parliament was just on holiday for a couple months, so like, forgive us, but not a lot happened, everyone was on their holidays. But today, in this first episode back from the summer, we're going to be discussing what recently happened in Salzburg last week, why was everyone talking about it, why were uh, many of Europe's biggest leaders at this conference. We're then going to lead into talking about the People's Vote, as well as many of the party conferences which are happening next week and even tomorrow. Labour's is going to be on Sunday, the 23rd of September, but we'll come to that all at the end, and we're going to start by addressing Salzburg. So, Andrew, what was Salzburg? Why is everyone talking about it? And why were all of Europe's biggest leaders at this conference? So this was a EU summit of all the leaders in the European Union and the leaders of the countries. So we had Angela Merkel, Emmanuel Macron, Jean-Claude Juncker and Donald Tusk, representatives from the EU and representatives from every country in the EU. This was to address uh, Brexit. Uh, Theresa May, our Prime Minister, obviously went forward and proposed her Czechs agreement, which we talked about a few uh, podcasts ago. And she proposed it in a 10-minute presentation and tried to convince a lot of the EU leaders that her proposals were legitimate and that they should agree to them. But she wasn't so successful in doing so. After after a 10-minute presentation and talking to our leaders with the rest of her cabinet, uh, they went behind closed doors and talked about it. Later on, we learned that Donald Tusk thought the proposals were impractical and undermined the EU single market, which the EU wants to protect, single market being the free movement of goods and services throughout the European Union without any borders or checks. The Chequers Agreement was accused of cherry-picking by Donald Tusk, and not really addressing a lot of the needs on both sides of the debate. Many sticklers for them proved continued to prove to be like things like the Irish border, which were no really legitimate proposals put forward by Theresa May in the opinion of the EU. We also had many other leaders like Emmanuel Macron saying that the people who told Britain that Brexit would be a success, provide Britain with loads of money, they're liars, which obviously inflamed tensions at home and in Europe. So do you think those comments were about, for instance, like Nigel Farage, who resigned essentially the minute that the final leave vote was cast? Yes. Um, I think a lot, in, a, in many ways, we're seeing a, a solid um, opposition to the Brit Checkers plans by EU leaders, which is kind of a surprise in contrast to what we thought it would initially be like. After all, this is over twenty. This is like 27 countries all coming together and presenting a united front against one country. When in reality, Theresa May's Chequers plan doesn't have much domestic support, with her own Conservative Party undermining it quite heavily. Jacob Rees-Mogg saying it's too, so- too much of a soft Brexit, and many people whose support remains saying it's not good enough. So this, the future does look very bleak for Theresa May at the moment, and it's still very uncertain as to what will happen next in the negotiations. So the reaction wasn't exactly what she was kind of looking for. But you mentioned the Irish border, and that's been quite a quite a stickler in these discussions, hasn't it? So what does Theresa May want with the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, and what have the EU pitched in about this argument? So the Irish border remains one of the greatest sort of focal points and sticklers of, of Brexit negotiations so far. We have to address the fact that Initially, the EU proposed a border in the IRC because both sides don't really want a border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, which you will need if there is a divergence between the UK and the EU in customs, in immigration, and many things like that. There'll need to be a border set up to stop smuggling. Of course, that would 
create, uh, m perhaps reinvigorate the troubles in Northern Ireland, and both sides want to avoid that. The EU, as I said, proposed a border on the IRC, which would mean that all goods coming from I the island of Ireland would be checked at UK ports. However, this would effectively mean that Northern Ireland would be treated as slightly different, to the not slightly different, significantly different to the rest of the UK. Uh, because Theresa May is in a supply deal with the DUP, they strongly proposed this and threatened to bring in our government previously. So she proposed some sort of technological solution whereby, through our checkers plan, there'd be a continued alignment of rules with the EU. So for example, the reason you would need border checks sometimes is to check that like, a hair dryer made in Spain complied with regulations in Britain. She proposed a continued alignment of laws with that, amongst other things. However, her insistence on allowing the UK to continue to make trade deals with many other countries outside the EU, such as Brazil or whatever, would mean that someone could theoretically import a hairdryer from Brazil and smuggle it across the border for cheaper than you would get in the EU, or vice versa, meaning a border would still need to exist. Many toy brigadiers have tried to solve this, or saying perhaps electronically you could fit this out, but it's been criticised both in the tech industry and from EU legislators as implausible, because even if you did have it have some sort of tech solution, you would need some sort of form of border stops. Like, even in Norway, between Norway and Sweden, there are still border stops, which would create large traffic jams at Dover or in Northern Ireland. So, without a hard border, it means you could essentially smuggle anything over this border, and this could this could become quite a sticky situation where you, you find lots of people using this tight land in the EU to smuggle things between the UK and the EU, and that's obviously would be such a difficult situation, yeah. Mm -hmm, definitely. It's the case where you both sides really don't want to have that occurring, because if we look back even just to the Troubles, when there were border stops, there was smuggling occurring across, and people would smuggle across things like alcohol and wedding rings or whatever to benefit from different prices in the EU and Northern Ireland. This would exacerbate massively after Brexit because the world's obviously far different and the role of globalised trade and trade deals to nations is emphasised even more so in the modern world. So any sort of swing that would occur would damage the economy in both sides significantly. So with all the EU talks and mentions of Brexit, many people have harked back to the original Brexit vote, which was a 52-48% in favour of leave, and many have said that if the vote was done today, it would be a completely different situation because a lot of information was withheld from the voters, which has raised a lot of concern and a lot of conversation on a potential people's vote. So what do people mean when they say a people's vote? So the people's vote campaign has been around since shortly after the referendum, slowly gaining traction. Now, it's basically been a campaign to have a people's vote, quote-unquote, on the final deal that Theresa May negotiates. That this has been backed by Chikamuna, many people in the Labour Party like Sadiq Khan. It's been backed from, backed from the beginning by the Green Party and the Liberal Democrats and Vince Cable. And more recently, we're having some dissenting voices throughout all parties calling for a people's vote. Now, this has become only more clear and over time as Theresa May's Brexit negotiations have gone downhill and the prospect of a no deal rises. In reality, the people's vote would probably take the format of a referendum, which would be a choice between remaining in the European Union, going with Theresa May's plan, or exiting with no deal. How do that would be organised and how we would decide the victor? By like an AMS or simply first past the post kind of system, whatever uh, choice has the most votes. Is up for debate, we're not really sure. But what is certain at the moment is it's gaining traction amongst all parties and 
we're not really sure if it's possible yet and how likely it is that it'll happen. So this wouldn't just be a straight vote of, you know, leaving or remaining in the EU? The idea is put forward is that it's a vote on the terms of leaving. It's been put forward by like many people as it's not simply just a second referendum, but a vote on the terms. So leaving with a no-deal Brexit is one way of doing it, cutting all ties immediately and just trying and leaving all EU institutions instantly, which could be very disharmonious, harmonious, but many people want that, so that would be on the table. Uh, another vote would be like abiding by Theresa May's Jericho's plan, which isn't really been successful at the moment, so whatever Theresa May managed to negotiate, probably much less with much more concessions than there are currently, we would abide by that if people voted for it. Seems unlikely since most people wouldn't really vote for that. Or the other option is remaining EU, which many people in Europe back, like the Czech, uh, Czech government backs it recently, Many other governments like Malta also back it, and within the EU there are a large portion of Remainers and foreign Brexiteers who think it is no longer worth it, quote-unquote, to leave the European Union in such a state. And in your educated opinion, how likely do you see actually happening? It was initially incredibly unlikely. Polls around the idea that they would vote to remain was very low and most people didn't want to vote in the terms. However, recently, for the first time ever, there was actually a an increase in the people wanting to have a vote in the terms. This coincided with Theresa May's checkers plan going badly, the leaving the cabinet, and also this failure in Salzburg. It is increasingly likely. It ultimately depends upon what stance Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party takes and the other parties throughout the United Kingdom. Because Theresa May is taking a very hard line approach, and in doing so she's managed to garner a lot of right-wing support. But if Jeremy Corbyn were to adopt a people's vote, he could potentially rally people to his side and if there was a snap election, get into power and call this referendum. Our last topic is going to be the party conferences. Uh, the Lib Dem one was recently, it was just a few days ago, it was last week. Uh, the Labour one is tomorrow, or, or in reference to the day of recording, which is the 22nd of September, it's going to be tomorrow, and the Tory Conservative one is going to be next week. So, Andrew, what do you expect will be said at each of these conferences? Let's start with Labour. So, Labour is very interesting. So we're going to see a lot of proposals from party members. So for a long time, the Labour Party membership have wanted a greater say over the policy that's been made, and a lot of around about a large majority of the Labour of Labour members, sixty to seventy percent, I believe, want a people's people's vote. But on the other hand, Jeremy Corbyn does not want a people's vote. So we could potentially see some action on that and trying to persuade different members of the Labour higher ups to back a people's vote, and whether or not that happens will be very interesting. Personally, I don't think that'll happen because Jeremy Corbyn's quite Eurosceptic, but it's still possible. Jeremy Corbyn, on the other hand, is going to try and make a position himself for government. He's going to continue to put forward different propositions which will rally his party's base. Like, very recently, we saw John McDonnell as uh, the Shadow Chancellor put forward propositions to nationalise rail in five years and a whole bunch of other things which they believe would make Britain fair, in their view. Jeremy Corbyn believes, from his position, that Theresa May is very weak, and she is, and that if a snap general election was to be called in the next year or so, they had a good chance of winning. So this is very much a place for them to come together, forge ideas for them to carry forth into an election if it was to, be, was to happen. Because at the last one last year, I remember, they came away from it. A lot of Labour voters thinking they'd won the World Cup. They were so buoyant after it. So do you think it'll be a similar feeling behind this one with all the people's vote talks and a lot of pressure on the Tories? 
Well, I think part of the reason Lear was so happy last year is because Theresa May did so badly. Her pe- her conference was a disaster with letters falling off. <laughs> her, she was coughing. It was a whole A mess. guy who held up a P45 phone, mm-hmm. didn't he? Yeah. So it's very much the case where it depends on how, how well the Conservatives do, depends on how well la- how Labour will feel and vice versa. So I think it'll be slightly more nervous at this year's conference because but also excitable because they, there's a prospect of government. Nervous because Brexit's looming more and more and Labour has never really posed anything definitive as to what they want out of Brexit. They've only reiterated the line of a people's Brexit or a Brexit for the people. And many senior Labour people, particularly old sort of Blairites, quote-unquote, such as him in and uh, Sadiq Khan, they've all proposed a people's vote and they've all taken different stances to Jeremy Corbyn. So, and the role of momentum in Labour is still very prominent and it's still difficult to see how that evolved. We also have other issues like the anti-Semitism debate, which is still <laughs> ongoing in Labour. They've only recently gave into that and adopted the internationally recognised definition of anti-Semitism, which took far too long to do. So, as to whether or not we'll see anti-Semitism rear its head at this conference, or whether or not it'll just be quietly pushed away, that remains to be seen. And what do you think will be the main topics at the Conservative conference? The Conservative conference is basically a no-man's land, I think. it's very We're not really sure what will happen. So Theresa May, after Salzburg, doesn't really have much of a much of an idea what will happen. She could fo- go forward to the Conservative conference and p- position a very, very hard line. She could say, I am going to go forward and go with a no-deal Brexit. She could say, she could just resign. I mean, it's very, we don't even know what's going to happen there. Personally, the Conservatives will try and cite the work they're doing in government properly, and there won't be a great deal going on. But it'll be very much either, a, there'll be nothing going on at this conference, very much all business as usual, everything's fine, don't worry about it, or it'll be meltdown. It'll be uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg and many others stirring up trouble, trying to push her towards a no-deal Brexit, and many others on the other side of the party trying to push her towards remaining our people's vote. And both sides in this current EU debate are trying to pull and push her in different ways, with the European Union trying to push her towards more remaining, and giving concessions in certain ways, and the absolute no deal side of the Conservative Party trying to push her towards a cutting all ties approach. So yeah, as to how the Conservative base will react to this remains to be seen. She's very unpopular with them at the moment due to like perceived conceding against Brussels. But recent attempts in the news to position herself as being hard and a, a stubborn woman or whatever, someone like Margaret Thatcher, um, are an attempt to raise her popularity again. How By the time of the conference, we don't know how she'll appear to the Conservative base or to her own party. I think it'll definitely be like there's a bit of an elephant in the room at this conference with no one wanting to act as if everything isn't going fantastically. Uh, and with some of the smaller parties, or it's quite bad to have to say smaller parties with reference to Lib Dem these days, but with some of the smaller parties like Lib Dem and UKIP, what's going to be their main kind of talking about, or what were the main talking about in terms of the Liberal Democrats? So the Liberal Democrats has had their conference in Brighton recently, and Vince Cable is very much positioning himself as a... He announced that he was going to step down uh, although he would step down only after Brexit was quote-unquote resolved. As to what that means, we're not really sure. Um, the Liberal Democrats have constantly been pushing for a people's vote on Brexit ever since the referendum. And we'll see, what, and they've been putting forward many other resolutions since then. But this is really the main point from their conference. They've um, campaigned constantly for this and gained some media attention with Vince Cable criticising the government and gaining some traction with different members of Conservative and Labour parties, and they have seen a small rise in the polls from seven to nine percent up to twelve, thirteen percent, 
if they could ever play a role in a future coalition remains to be seen. We're not really sure <clears throat> what when uh, Vince Cale would leave. He is quite early now. He's 74, 75. But the Lib Dems are slowly wringing their head again. They've so far really failed to monopolise, or sorry, rather, make use of the sort of people's vote, given the fact that the two main parties have been in turmoil over Brexit and they've presented a very united line. It's a surprise they haven't managed to gain far more traction. So this could finally be them gathering a anti-Brexit sentiment. Although they still have a lot of bias against them from their actions in the coalition. And a quick note on UKIP. UKIP recently at their conference, they just um, made a very predictable line uh, of, and <clears throat> of a no-deal Brexit, trying to urge Theresa May to call ties to the EU. They also, I believe, said something along the lines of um, stopping the mass importation, quote-unquote, of people to the, uh, to the United Kingdom. Um, their view of immigration is a source of a lot of ills. And there was a debate around admitting Tommy Robinson to their party, I believe. So business as usual in business the United as usual. Kingdom. Independence Party. And that uh, wraps up episode four of The Ballot. It has been a little bit of, a little while since we've been doing this consistently. But from now on, we're going to be trying to do it on a bi-weekly um, schedule. Obviously, we've got a lot of commitments with university and work around this. But we're obviously having a lot of fun doing The Ballot right now and want to keep it going in its full capacity. Um, we're going to be trying getting a, a website running up pretty soon where we'll be able to post a lot more written content alongside the podcast, but that's probably still a few weeks away from being announced. But you'll find all this information on our Twitter account, which is at Ballot Podcast. Please give that a follow after listening to keep up to all the details as well as some political conversation about all the recent events that might not get covered in these audio podcasts. But thanks a lot for listening. I've been joined by Andrew Reynolds. And we'll see you next time on the Ballot Podcast.